So, after months of standoffs, false dawns, rumours and threats, is a deal on the Northern Ireland Protocol finally within reach? The Protocol, which formed part of Britain's withdrawal agreement from the European Union, aims to protect the EU single market without imposing a hard border. However, unionists and some within the Conservative Party have argued that it undermines Northern Ireland's position within the UK and imposes unnecessary red tape on businesses. Later today, the head of the EU Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, will travel to England for a meeting with the British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. Mr Sunak will then have to go to the House of Commons to try and sell any deal to his MPs. A short time ago, Brexit supporter and former Minister Jacob Rees-Mogg spoke to ITV. He said the devil would be in the detail. Yes or no, are you voting for the Sunak deal? Got to see what the deal is. Oh, come oh, no, no. on. And, and, and come on, Jacob. You won't put up with that when you're presenting I, I, the I, I will. The two, Get off the fence, you'll There thing. are two things we need, to, we need to know. One is what the DUP thinks. Because the protocol itself sets out in its first article that it is um, subsidiary to the Good Friday Belfast Agreement. Mm. So if the DUP think it doesn't meet that test, that will be very influential among Conservative MPs. And I'm afraid with all the EU deals, the devil is in the detail. Jacob Rees-Mogg not really giving an answer a short time ago. Joining us are Financial Times political editor George Parker and Sam McBride, who's Northern Ireland editor of the Belfast Telegraph and Sunday Independent. George, let's start with you. Can we take it that a deal is pretty much done? Yes, we can. I don't think there's any question at all that the deal is done just apart from the signatures. Um, Ursula von der Leyen wouldn't be coming over here today if the deal wasn't done. So we're going to see a sort of whole choreography of the of the, of the deal making. Um, we're expecting it to be signed and sealed in Windsor, um, possibly with a meeting between Ursula von der Leyen, the European Commission president, and King Charles somewhere thrown into the mix. Um, all intended to give a sense that this is a kind of a, a deal which is a permanent fix to a problem which has bedeviled relations between the UK and the EU and, of course, Northern Irish politics for um, the best part of three years. The rough outline of a compromise has been clear for quite a while with the role of the European Court of Justice in settling any disputes, with that being particularly contentious. What's the agreement likely to say, do we know? Well, it depends who you speak to. There are certainly people on the EU side who say that on the question of the European Court of Justice and the application of EU law, not a great deal has changed. I think the art of this particular deal will be to give both sides something they can say to their own constituencies to say that they've won. I suspect what we'll see is language which suggests that the role of the European Court of Justice will be pushed well back into the well into the background with a sort of series of sort of steps before you get to the ECJ ministerial councils and and things like that so very much using the ECJ as a last resort but it will still be there so if you're a purist on sovereignty issues and you don't like the fact that the EU the EU law will continue to apply to Northern Ireland and the European Court of Justice is there lurking in the background to arbitrate on questions of EU law then you won't be fully satisfied but there'll be lots of other things I think in the deal in terms of practical solutions to the problems caused by the protocol in terms of trade across the Irish Sea in particular, that I think people will welcome. Mm, Sam McBride, let's bring you in on this. How much does the DUP know about this deal, as you understand it, and how is the leadership likely to react? 
I think that it would be pretty astonishing if the DUP has not been really either given this deal in all but name, i.e. everything that was that was there on paper until a day or two ago, if there are minor tinkering things going on at the last moment, um, or has been briefed so thoroughly on it at leadership level that that doesn't really matter. Um, however, I think the really um, the really big monumental risk here to Jeffrey Donaldson, the, uh, the, uh, the top person in the DUP, at least on paper, even though his party is really um, the the key um, uh, figure here, if you like, um, he would be he he would be taking a massive risk if he was to rush into embracing this. I think that he might come round to this at some point, but he will be very careful to say, "I'm studying this, I'm looking at it." He has been deeply unenthusiastic over the last week, and so therefore, having been lied to by um, Boris Johnson, having been misled, if you like, by Liz Truss during her short tenure, he would be very much at the mercy of his party and at the mercy of his rivals if he was to be seen to be naive here, to rush in, to simply take on trust. What has been briefed about this, he will be wanting to say, we're getting experts to look at this, we'll know what this means, and then we'll make a decision on it. Are there different factions within the DUP? I mean, are are some representatives more hardline on this than others? Yes, although the quite surprising thing over the last couple of weeks has been the real hardening of the DUP position across almost all of their senior representatives. I had expected that they would start to um, really prepare the ground for compromise and actually they've been going in the opposite direction. When they came up with these seven tests, as they call them, for judging whether a deal is right for them, whether it meets their requirements, they, they clearly wrote those tests to be ambiguous, to be open to compromise, to be open to interpretation. And actually now it's not so much about those seven tests, it's about everything else that those senior party figures have said over recent days. So, for instance, Nigel Dodds basically said that no EU law can apply to Northern Ireland, that there can be no role whatsoever for the ECJ. Now, that was just over a week ago. Um, it would be pretty extraordinary um, if, if he was to then accept a deal, which obviously is going to entail both of those things um, still happening. Um, there have been other senior people like Sammy Wilson, who's a bit more of a maverick than Nigel Dodds. But there there has been this really consistent hardening. And I think the really big thing at the back of Sir Geoffrey Donaldson's mind will be that there is a big electoral test. It's yes, only local council elections, but it's his first electoral test as leader. And that's coming up in May. It's very popular with his voters to stay out of Stormont over this. He doesn't know how popular it will be to go into Stormont um, on the back of this. So I would still be very surprised if we see the DUP back in Stormont before May at the very earliest. George, to bring you back in on this, as far as his own party is concerned, how hard a sell will this be for Rishi Sunak? Well, it's going to be a very hard sell. There are a whole load of people in his party who um, are completely obsessed, you could say, with the idea of driving all vestiges of the EU out of every corner of the United Kingdom. So that's a big problem for him, the sovereignty purists, as some people call them. Um, And I think a lot of them will take their lead from the DUP. And um, if the DUP doesn't uh, go back into power sharing, then I think that will embolden some of the rebels on Rishi Sunak's side. If you speak to people around him, they they think that the, the rebellion can be contained, possibly to I don't know, 30 or so Tory MPs. And there might be something to be gained for Rishi Sunak um, of taking on some of these people in this party and say, look, I'm someone who fixes problems. I take on uh, rebels if I need to. That will answer some of the questions about whether he's a weak prime minister or not that Labour have been raising. So I think he's now crossed the Rubicon. I think he's prepared to take these people on. 
Um, some people will say it's not before time that a Tory prime minister has been prepared to take these people on. But he's obviously going to do that. And he'll hope that uh, the rebellion can be contained, as I said, to sort of uh, two or three dozen uh, Tory MPs. How much trouble could Boris Johnson cause? Because people may have seen that report in the Sunday Times yesterday saying that, that when a former Justice Secretary tried to convince Boris Johnson that a deal was needed to smooth relations with America, he <laughs> reportedly said, F the Americans. And he didn't say F, but uh, it's 17 minutes past eight and we're on the radio, no. so we'll say F. Nobody's nobody nobody's safe from Boris Johnson. I think is the uh, is the answer to that. Yes, I mean, look, he's 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 waiting in the wings. He's someone who likes to be at the centre of attention. Um, he said that already that he thinks the best way of dealing with this problem is to press ahead with legislation that's currently stuck in the House of Lords that he introduced, which would unilaterally, basically, scrap the protocol. Um, so I think it's quite likely that he will cause trouble. I think the problem will mount for Rishi Sunak. The problem is that a lot of the people who agitating about the Northern Ireland Protocol. Some of them are people who still believe that Boris Johnson should be Prime Minister. Some of them are people who think the government should be taking a much tougher line on immigration. Some of them are people who think the government should start cutting taxes immediately. They're often the same people. And the problem is that for Rishi Sunak, is if his problems mount through the year, the economy struggles, if they do badly in local elections that are coming up in May, that all of this sort of stirs into quite a toxic brew. And then uh, Boris Johnson will be there sort of ready for the ball to come out of the back of the scrum, as he likes to put it. Mm. Sam, you were saying to us a few moments ago that when it comes to the DUP's hardcore support, that, that they're very much behind the party taking a hard line on this. But haven't opinion polls suggested that for the electorate as a whole, that, that they really want to see politicians back in Stormont? So does the DUP have to be mindful of that? So both those things are correct and they're not in any way contradictory. So the the real people who have any sort of significant hold over the DUP right now are the people who might vote for them. That's how politicians think. They're not so worried about what other party supporters might think. And if you're in the DUP, you're on something like um, 24, 25% of the vote in Northern Ireland. That's about a quarter of the population. Um, those are the people that they're really considering. Slightly beyond that, in wider unionism, about 40% of people in Northern Ireland um, there, there is there is the, the 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 last poll that we had in the in the paper was saying that really about forty percent of unionists want the DUP to stay out of Stormont until the protocol goes entirely, absolutely every last scrap of it. About twenty percent want it to be radically rewritten. I think the question here is for those twenty percent who are open to some sort of compromise, how do they approach this? Do they think that this is smoke and mirrors? Do they think that they, they've been misled? They've been cut out of this, or do they think you know what this is the best we're going to get? We didn't. Think we'd ever get this and actually it's pretty good it's not perfect but we're 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 in a in a much better position than we otherwise might have been but the real risk for sir jeffrey donaldson is that if he endorses this if he seems enthusiastic about it or even if he goes back into Stormont with with a sort of grumbling attitude to this he he is he is maybe trapping himself and we really need to see the the fine detail of this but he's maybe trapping himself in a position where eu laws are, are still applying to Northern Ireland and that's a dynamic process. They keep changing. Every few weeks there's some other um, maybe very technical thing, maybe very petty thing. It doesn't really matter. There's this constant stream of divergence. If he's endorsed that, He's in a very dangerous position, I think, within unionism. From what you're saying then, um, you don't sound particularly optimistic that an executive could be restored in time for the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which is coming up in April. 
I think that would be a huge surprise as far as I can see. I think that there there is a, a, a sort of third way here, if you like. I think it's pretty clear that that certainly um, Jeffrey Donaldson wants to get back into Stormont. He didn't want to topple it in the first place. He grumbled a lot about the protocol at the start, but he didn't in any way stop his party from building the border posts or anything of that nature. And so therefore, I think we've we've got a pretty good sense of what he thinks here. Um, he sees the value for the union of having Stormont, of having devolution. He is a devolutionist. He also knows that if he doesn't go back in, this is the end of the Good Friday Agreement in all but name for five years. 10 years, there is no way that you can stay out of Stormont on these grounds, these fundamental constitutional grounds, and then say after six months or a year, you know what, it's fine, we're going back in. This is a big, big decision for him. And so therefore, he will be weighing those two things up. I think the real difficulty for him is um, is his fundamental weakness within the party. But if, if he wants to be a bit slippery about this, he could do something else. He could, for instance, say, we're not going back into the executive. This doesn't meet our tests. But we're going into opposition at Stormont or something of that nature, which removes the veto over a, a Stormont executive being formed. Um, it puts the DUP in a very unusual position. There, there'll be lots of media interest in that. It, it, it would seem and genuinely be quite a tough message. And then maybe after six months or um, a, a, a year or two of that, um, there would be a very imbalanced executive, a very very much a, 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 a um, pro-nationalist um, Stormont executive. That would be very uncomfortable for unionism. And that might just give him the lead to say, you know what, now we do need to bite hard and get back in there because otherwise everything is worse for unionism. Mm. Just finally, back to yourself, George, how much of a consideration for Rishi Sunak in all of this is the United States and the need for progress on a trade deal? I don't think there's any prospect of a trade deal anytime soon, but no, there's no doubt at all that this is driven by economics. Um, Rishi Sunak is someone who sees things very much through an economic lens. And getting back on the front foot with the Americans is important. Obviously, they're hoping that um, when President Biden comes over, if he comes over, he'll be bringing lots of inward investment with him. But, it, you know, it's right across the border. This is not just about restoring the Stormont Assembly. It's about improving our economic relations with the US, with the European Union, uh, and basically just trying to bury something which has dogged British politics mm-hmm. and um, and our relationship with the EU and the US for, for too many years. George Parker and Sam McBride, thank you both for being with us this morning.